Spending a small amount by current standards to save life is within our reach. Why not? Doing well by doing good. You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and joining me today is Dr. Gary Becker. Dr. Becker is a university professor of economics and sociology at the University of Chicago and is the professor in the Graduate School of Business. He is the Rose Marie and Jack Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institute, and he's won the Nobel Memorial Prize for Economic Science in 1992. Thank you very much for joining us today. Glad to be here. Dr. Becker, we have seen the increasing time that it takes for people who are on the waiting list for a donor for kidney and liver transplants. The list is getting longer. It used to be non-existent 10 years ago, and it is now five years before somebody may receive an organ, and 50% of the people on the list will have died. Is there some economic way to solve this problem that exists between the gap of this tremendous demand and the lack of supply for a needed organ? Well, the obvious solution is to increase supply. Now, we've tried many ways to do it by, you know, exhorting people to leave their organs, uh, to give organs, advertisements to do it. And they've had a very small amount of success, but as you said, far from sufficient to satisfy that growing demand as we have improved the ability to make organ transplants. So what's the solution? The solution is to take a much more radical approach and to start paying people for organs. Experience in economics with almost any item that you can imagine has been that when you raise the price, you elicit significant increases in supply, and I'm sure that will happen in the case of the supply of organs, particularly kidneys and livers. Using economic science, how do you come up with a price that will cause the demand to go up? Well, you have to, first of all, break down the various costs to a donor. We divided them up into three categories, the risk of dying, the lost time from work and so on, recovery period from the transplant surgery, and any effects on the quality of life. So we calculated what's the increased probability of dying. It's very small, but it's not zero. Sometimes uh, surgeries go wrong. And so we, we have a method of putting a value on even small changes in the probability of dying. We did that. We estimated the average number of weeks that people lose as a result of being a donor, recovering, and then looking at the earnings of people. We could put a value on that. And then this was the hardest part. We, we tried to come up with some rough magnitudes of what any change in the quality of life would be for people. For most donors, the quality of life is normal. It isn't affected, but there is some small risk, and so we had to value that. Putting that all together, we estimated for kidneys in the United States, uh, we would have to pay about $15,000 to get a sufficient number of kidneys to satisfy this large increase in demand that you mentioned. This paper was presented at the Hoover Institute. I'm sure that knowing who you are, putting your weight behind this particular subject caused a lot of response. Could you tell me some of the feedback you got from the particular scientific data that you presented there? Well, we got a bunch of different types of feedback. Some enthusiastic supporters, particularly of people who had relatives who would needed an organ and had to go through this terrible experience of waiting four, five, six years, sometimes tied to a dialysis machine, very expensive process often. 
we also had some people who critical who thought this was not moral, and I had to walk them through why I thought it was more moral than what we're doing now when we're condemning people either to death because they can't get an organ or to wait so long with a very low quality of life that this would be much more moral way of attacking this type of illness. We had other people who just wanted to know more evidence, how we made the calculations, why we could be so sure that there'd be enough supply at that price. So we had a variety of responses. More of the responses started out negative, but as they went through the discussions, I, I like to believe a lot of people got converted and saw the reasonableness of such a procedure. You've talked about the various methods that we've used to increase the number of donors, and this has failed. Do you think this might lead to a level playing field? In other words, that the vulnerable and disadvantaged who do not have access to the media, to the Internet, might now have an equal opportunity towards getting an organ? Absolutely. In most situations, when when you don't have a market clearing and minorities are hurt more for reasons you say, Either they don't have as many relatives who are willing to supply organs or they don't go on the Internet or whatever. Um, So I definitely feel that they would benefit even more than others from the system because everybody would have access to an organ as a result of this. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Maurice Pickard, and I'm speaking with Dr. Gary Becker, University Professor of Economics and Sociology at the University of Chicago, and we're discussing incentivizing or purchasing organs for people who are in need for transplant. When you look at the total cost of a transplant, what is the actual additional cost of procuring an organ if you're incentivizing it? It wouldn't be a big fraction of the total cost because, as you well know, and I'm sure most of the audience knows, transplant surgery is one of the most expensive forms of surgery. We had estimates for kidney transplants, as I remember it now, about $100,000, and for liver transplants, maybe 150000 would be typical in the United States. If you had 15000 to 100 some odd thousand, you'd get around 10 to 15 percent increase in the cost. So it's not an overwhelming increase in the cost. Do you think actually the cost that we now go through of procuring organs would actually go down? There would be certain things that would go down by adding this cost. Two types of costs would go down. One, you wouldn't have the procurement problem, at least a much simpler procurement problem. You'd have to test the organ and so on. But now, from speaking to transplant surgeon, as soon as they hear about a potential organ someplace, they have to fly off and rush down there to get it, come back quickly because it doesn't last that long, and then have the surgery. You would eliminate most of that problem under this system. The second problem that cost, in a general sense of cost, is you can make the transplant much more to convenience of the recipient, depending upon when they're healthy enough to have the surgery. So you could match the timing much better to suit both the donor, of course, and the recipient, and that would be a significant reduction in some real costs as we think of costs. So there are a number of costs that would go down. And, of course, the enormous cost of being on chronic dialysis, which right. Medicare oh, yeah. is paying for. It. I'm glad you mentioned that. Yeah, you'd eliminate the big cost, both in terms of the actual monetary cost and in terms of the restriction on work from being on dialysis and in terms of the quality of life. Those would be tremendous, probably for people 
who are long-time dialysis patients, you would actually significantly reduce the total cost by paying for a, uh, a kidney. Do you think the poor will be taken advantage of? Well, I think two things. One, you're more likely to get a disproportionate supply from the poor, although that, you have to qualify that a little bit because somebody who's, who's poor and they're on drugs on alcohol and the like, their organs may not be in good enough shape so that you'll rule out a significant fraction of the poor. That's been true in a voluntary army. We went to a voluntary army, people said, well, it's only going to be poor people. Well, a lot of poor people don't qualify. Uh, they don't meet the standards of the military. And I think in a similar way here, a number of the poor will not meet the quality of the organ standards that are, that are required. But on the whole, I think you'd get a larger fraction of donations from lower-income people than in the population as a whole. Now, will they be taken advantage of? On the one hand, you're supplying them income. So that's good. I mean, that's why they're doing it. On the other hand, you might say, well, they'll be impulsive and so on. So if you're worried about impulsive behavior, you could have a cooling off period, particularly with live transplants. You would say, well, okay, you sign up now. Uh, we're going to give you 30 days or so to change your mind. And let's say after 30 days you still want to do it, and then you can do it. So you'd have to have double initial signature, and then a signature 30 days later. So you can put in very simple protection, and I think it'll be an opportunity for many poor people, not a uh, disadvantage. You know, 25 years ago when Congress looked at this for the first time and it failed miserably, they also wanted to put in protections as what would be done with the money. Some people suggested a retirement fund, health policies, or even college tuition. Would this possibly satisfy some of the critics? Yeah, it might. Uh, I have more confidence in that, that the poor know how to spend their money. They just don't have a lot of it. But if you're worried about that, sure, you can limit it to, you know, various types of expenditure, like educational fund for children or for the person themselves if they're young people doing it. Having dealt a lot with poor people in my analysis, my experience has been it's not that the poor don't know what to do with the money they have. They just don't have enough money. Once they do... They'll, sure, they'll make mistakes, just like rich people make mistakes and middle-class people make mistakes in spending their money. But uh, I, I think they'll do a, a good job. They'll meet their basic needs. Some of it will be educational needs. Some of it will be other needs, uh, things that to them are very important in their life, daily life. You know, a lot of people object to selling body parts, and yet we have examples of eggs and surrogate mothers and corneas. How do you feel that this is really wrong, that we shouldn't sell a body part? It isn't ours to sell. Well, one of the basic freedoms, if you look at the history of freedom in philosophy, great philosophers, John Locke and others, the first thing they said is that people have the freedom of their body. They control themselves. It's the first thing they control, the most fundamental thing. Most totalitarian societies have tried to take away people's freedom over themselves. So if you take that as the fundamental freedom, that's what people say, uh, women should be free in terms of what they want to do with the fetus. If you think of the fundamental freedom that people have over themselves, and I would include in that freedom over their body parts. And as you mentioned, we allow a lot of transactions in different body parts because the judgment was made it's important to allow those sort of activities to go on. I think that's a fundamental freedom that nobody else should have control of that. Who else would we say owns, you know, different parts of my body. I'd like to think that I'm the owner of that, and I'm the one who has the freedom 
to do with it as I will. I may, you know, as a young guy, I may do daredevil type of activities with, with great risk, a lot of tricks on skateboarding and all these things and surfing with high waves because, I mean, we, we like to think, aside from certain extreme cases, the people are the best judges of what to do with their bodies. You know, you talk about liberties, and we all grew up life, liberty, in the pursuit of happiness. It appears within our grasp now, maybe for the first time, to present these liberties back to people who have chronic renal disease. I want to thank Dr. Gary Becker, who's been our guest today, and we've been discussing incentivizing donations of kidneys to people who've been waiting far too long on the list. I'm Dr. Maurice Pickard, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMDXM157, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com. If you have comments or suggestions, call us at 888-MDXM157. Thank you for listening.